You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, we're in Romans, if you don't know. I've been there for a while now. I think this is like part 14 or something. So, um, and I think, uh, I, think, I think Tim and Paul schemed um, so that I would have to get this chapter. I think they, they were like, let's figure out a way that we can get Josh chapter nine. Um, <laughs> Paul got, hey, Paul's last three weeks, if y'all didn't listen, if y'all missed or any of those so good, uh, I don't, man, I don't know how you can really do bad job on Romans chapter eight, but, but he, did a, he did a really fantastic job. Romans eight is just like the pinnacle of the New Testament for me. It's just, a, it, it's, it's really, really, really incredible. Um, and so we've gone through, uh, completely gone through chapters one through eight. And it just talks about our, you know, our, our need for salvation, what salvation is, how we are saved by faith through grace. And, and Paul has really laid all of that out there until just the climax in Romans chapter eight. And it's just, it's, it's so, so, so good. And then, and then he gets to Romans nine and he really switches gears. Um, instead of a, Romans eight kind of seemed like a good place to shut the letter down. And uh, he really just changes um, topics here. And, and I think one thing it's important for us to understand is that um, the audience that Paul was writing to, he was writing to the Christians in Rome at the time in the first century, uh, but they would have been mostly Jewish people that he was writing to. And, and so I, I think it can be very confusing if all of a sudden we read through chapter eight and then we get into Romans nine, not understanding that he's talking to Jews here. And Jews would have had, they, there would have been several objections that would have come up, several questions that would have come up. And Paul himself being a Jew knew some of these things that he was going to have to tackle, some of these rebuttals. So, so he was able to be led by the spirit and write some of these things down. And so specifically in Romans nine through 11, these next three chapters where he really zeroes in on uh, some of the things that his Jewish brothers and sisters would have needed some help on concerning his teaching. And uh, 10 and 11 are a little bit easier, but man, chapter nine, is a doozy. Um, this is one of the <laughs> one of the most confusing texts in all of Scripture. One of, definitely one of the most debated about texts in all of Scripture. Um, you have denominations that are that have split over how they interpret Romans chapter nine. It is it's very intense, and and Paul's writings aren't easy to understand. I don't know if you've caught the drift, but dude likes to use a lot of run-on sentences, um, and he like and he his writing style is very strange. Even Peter, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse like 16, Peter says, he, he's talking to the people and he says, I know Paul's writings are hard to understand. So even the apostle Peter is like, my bro, Paul, like he, his writings are, are, are a little bit difficult and uh, they, they require study, they require meditation. Um, so anyway, it's also important to note, like we typically, um, as believers, here we are 2,000 years later, um, we typically, when we go to read the word, we start usually in the New Testament, and then we try to fit the Old Testament into the New Testament. But these guys, we've got to understand, they were writing the New Testament, their scriptures were the Old Testament. And so they were doing like the opposite of what we do. And so, it, so it, it's actually fascinating, if you go through and look at the letters, even the gospels, and you see, if you'll actually go through and see how many times they quote the Old Testament, it's a lot more than what's referenced in your Bible in the little foot and side notes. It is, 
all, every line, every word, every verse is like they are quoting the Old Testament over and over and over and over and over again. And they were, because they were mainly talking to Jews, they were trying to get, understand, the, get the Jews to see everything you have memorized, everything that you that have studied your whole life, it was all pointing to Jesus. Every single bit of it. And for us, that doesn't mean a whole lot, but for them it definitely does. And we'll see why in the next um, uh, few chapters here. So, but Romans 9, it's a fun chapter. Um, there's, again, there's many differing opinions and interpretations. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Calvinism, but this is one that Calvinists really hang on to. Um, if you have any kind, not that all Baptists are Calvinists, but if you have any kind of Baptist background, a lot of times uh, a lot of Baptists can be uh, Calvinist. And, and I believe that Calvinists are saved. They're my brothers and sisters. I just differ on a few things um, than they do. But, it, but, but mainly the, the big thing that get, they get hung up on that they go to Romans chapter 9, this is really, for me, it's really their only text that they really ever go to. Um, but the, it's predestination. It's that God, because he foreknew you, because he knows all things, he has predestined you basically to either go to heaven or to go to hell. And so it's like God created a bunch of people and like some of them are going to go to heaven and some of them are going to hell and there's nothing they can do about it, which is just wild to me that people <laughs> would believe that. Um, and they're, ba- you know, they're basically saying that God is completely sovereign and, and that we have no free will at all, that we have no ability to choose him, um, that we were just created to either be with him for all eternity or be in hell for all eternity. Um, but I want you to know tonight, that is not the God that we serve. He is, he is loving and he is patient. And Second Peter 3, 9 says <laughs> that it is not his will that any should perish. That is why he is patient and long-suffering because it is not his will that any should perish. John three sixteen. I don't know what they do with that one, but that's for God so loved the world. Like, everybody. Even a couple chapters later, you go to, to Romans chapter 11 towards the end. And Paul says, all were bound up in disobedience. Therefore, mercy is for all. So I don't know what they do with those verses, but anyway. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's get into this tonight. Uh, again, tricky one to understand. There's some tough verses in here that we will try to unpack. Um, He's really going to be focusing on the Jewish people, the promises that God made to the Jewish people. Um, and he's really, a lot of times he's going to come after the ones who really don't even believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and so he's gone through justification. He's gone through salvation through faith, um, by not obeying the laws of Moses, not by our good works. And he's anticipating some objections to be brought up by the Jews, mainly which it would be, what about the promises that God made to his chosen people? And even believing Jews would have this question here. Um, how can I be secure in God's love and salvation to me when it seems that Israel, who was once, and was once loved and seemed saved, now seem rejected and cursed? Well, God rejected, reject and curse me one day. Why would, why would they think that? Because a Jew would look around and go, wow, most of the Jews don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So why should I believe that he's the Messiah? So those, these are some, because I'm God's chosen, if we're God's chosen people and I'm looking around and these guys aren't believing, then maybe he's not the Messiah. That, that would have been their, their line of thinking because we're all God's chosen people, right? The Jews would have thought that we're all God's chosen. So we're all recipients of his promise, right? And so that's what Paul is going to answer tonight. So let's look at verse one. Let's read verses one through five. 
This is with Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And this last part right here doesn't seem radical to us, but it would have been really radical to the Jewish people. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So, I love the first few verses there. Paul has great sorrow and grief for the unsaved Jewish people. <laughs> so much so that he said, I'm willing to be cut off. I would be, do, do we have that kind of, I'm looking at myself and go, do I have that kind of love for, for lost people that I would say I'm willing to be cut off from Christ forever if it means they can be saved? Because that is the love here that, that Paul is showing for his, his, his Jewish brothers and sisters. And it's, This deep sorrow, anguish, grief that he is feeling for them. And I think that needs to become a part of our daily prayer life where we don't, we don't grow cold and hard to those that are around us. And again, here's my, my first refute. If if you're looking at this chapter to back up your Calvinism, my first problem is Paul was so deeply disturbed. If I'm a Calvinist, I'm cold and hard already because I'm like, well, y'all are going to hell anyway. Why, who cares? Why share my faith? Why even try if you're already predestined? But Paul has this deep sorrow, anguish, and grief for his Jewish brothers and sisters. What if we cared about people that way? What if we cared about lost people that way? <laughs> and, and, and back to, I keep going back to Calvinism. I'm just going to pick on it all night. I'm sorry. Um, so... <laughs> what a Calvinist would have to tell me then is that, that Paul cares more about people than God did. And I just don't think that's true. I, I don't think that lines up with, with the character of God because first John four nineteen says that we only love because God first loved us. So, so Paul has that grief. He has that. And I think that needs to be in our prayer life where we pray like God break our hearts for lost people. May we never, never grow cold and hard towards people, but that we would love people and we would desire for them to enter into your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Then Paul, <clears throat> then Paul lists, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on these, but Paul lists seven special things about the nation of Israel. Seven special things about the nation of Israel. Number one, is they've been adopted. Adoption was the first special thing. That God adopted them nationally. That, that the Israelites, they had a national relationship with God. It, the reason he's listing, it will get, the very last one kind of gives the reason of why he's listing these special things about Israel. Uh, number two, glory. They were the only nation that had the glory of God. In his tabernacle, in his temple, you see different places where the manifest glory of God came down. When they were in the desert, they were being led by the cloud and they were being led by the fire. That was the glory of God, the only nation in the world that had the glory of God. Uh, Number three, they were given covenants. Several covenants. You can go back to the the Noahic covenant, the the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then ultimately the new covenant. 
We won't go into all of those, but basically it was God's promises, some of God's promises to his people, a little bit more intense than promise, but, um, but things that were actually absolutely going to happen. Uh, number four, they were given the law. And, I, and many times I know we say like, well, thank God, like we don't live under the law anymore, but the law was actually a good thing. The law was a gift. What other nation on the planet had law from God? It's a, it, was a good, it was a good thing. Now we have a better thing. But at the time, it was a great thing. It was an honor that they had God's law, not a burden. <laughs> it taught them how to behave. It taught them how to rule themselves. It protected them. Number five, service of God or worship of God. That was a gift that had been given to them. Priesthood, festivals, all these things that they did to worship God. They, they were told how, how, the, how they could please their God. Number six, they were given promises by God. This is a little bit different than covenants, not as intense as covenants. Yeah, I mean, you could really look at the end of Deuteronomy and see all the promises um, that they were given. A lot of those were conditional, like if you do this, then this will happen. Good things. And then leading up to number seven, Christ, the Messiah, is going to come from you. And it, I think sometimes it, it's weird because sometimes as Gentiles, like we don't see like the weight of this, but l- let me give you an example. Like this is, this should have been like a huge, incredible honor. They did consider it an honor. They just didn't, most of them didn't believe it was Christ. Um, but we love the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Th- why? Because there's a, there's a national pride, yeah. right? Like we get, we love cheering for the USA. We love wearing that red, white, and blue. Like, you can't tell me that you didn't watch Michael Phelps swim and just whoop nation after nation after nation. You're like, this is my boy. Come on, go America, right? The dream team, I mean, come on, right? MJ, man, <laughs> MJ, uh, Magic Johnson. They, I mean, they just tore everybody up. It was awesome. Uh, uh, my wife still won't watch this movie, but if you not, have not seen the movie Miracle about the USA hockey team, that is like the best sports movie ever. It's, it's incredible. I think I cry every time I watch it because it's just incredible, but it's like, it's that team spirit. But like for the Jews, man, this is like Christ is gonna come from you guys. Yes, like the Messiah. That's a, that was an honor for them. That was a huge, huge thing. And that's why Paul is like, this was given to you. And that's why in the end, he's telling them outright in verse five, he is God. He was God in the flesh. He is the Messiah and he is coming from you. So here's, Paul, here's Paul's grief then. If all this is for you and, and Jesus, the Messiah, and he is God in flesh, here's his grief. Why are so many in the nation not believing in him? So then he spends pretty much the rest of the chapter answering that question. Let's go on to verse six. Let me get a drink real quick. He says, well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. For God had promised, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. 
This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people, but not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. In the words of scripture, I have loved Jacob, but I have rejected Esau. So verse six, so all of these prom- are, are all of these promises invalid because not all Jews believe in Jesus. So he's showing them all of these things are happening for the Jews. All of these things have been promised for the Jews, but then you get to Christ and not all of them are believing because you would think, well, if all of these promises are relevant to the Jews, then how come the Messiah, not all the Jews are believing? And so Paul is answering that question there and he's using it with Old Testament, he's using Old Testament truths to prove New Testament truth to to, to prove New Testament covenant. And so what he does is he's saying, just because you were an Israelite didn't make you a child of God. And he goes back to using Abraham as a physical example. He's showing just because you're an Israelite by birth doesn't mean you're truly a child of God, that you must believe in the Messiah to truly be a child of God. And he uses Abraham as a physical example because he says, look, Abraham, Abraham originally had two boys. Now, eventually he had more with the concubine, but he had Isaac with Sarah and then Ishmael with Hagar. But Isaac was the one that was promised. Now, you can go to Genesis chapter 17 and God says, I will greatly bless Ishmael, Abraham, because he is your son. But my promise is for the descendants of Isaac. So it wasn't, it wasn't about genetics It was about the promise and who the promise was for. So you can't just claim to be a Jew and receive all the promises. You actually had to be a descendant of Isaac. And he was using this example to show you can be an Israelite, but not be in the family. He was using this example to show is that you've got to align yourself with Christ if you truly want to be a child of God. And we've got to know that for us as well. So I know obviously we're talking a lot to the Jews, but here's the deal. (laughs) Just because your granny was a Christian and she played the organ in your church for 80 years and she prayed for you and made you go to church, that doesn't make you saved. I run into so many, so many people in the Bible belt and you talk to them about Jesus like, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Like my, you know, my grandpa's the pastor of so-and-so church, been pastor there for 65 years. He baptized me when I was six years old. Glory, I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, no, you're not. (laughs) Not if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's awesome that your grandpappy was a pastor, but that is not your relationship with the Lord. (laughs) And that's the example that he's using with Abraham and Isaac. Verse 10, then he goes on to Jacob and Esau because Isaac marries Rebecca. Rebecca has, she's gonna have twin boys And basically what's going to happen is God's just going to choose one boy over the other. That's not a bad thing. He wasn't, this is one thing that I I, I think a lot of, a lot of people who are hardcore Calvinists get caught up in like, well then, because he chose Jacob, Jacob was destined for heaven and Esau was damned to hell. But that's, it's not talking about salvation. He's just going to move things around like he does God does strange things compared to how we would do them, right? Normally, the older son is the one who would receive the inheritance. 
And God says, I'm going to flip the script on that. Why? Because he's God and he wanted to. That's just what he decided to do is I'm going to have uh, Jacob is going to be the one who rules over the younger. Don't, we don't get caught. Some translation uses the word election in these verses. Don't get caught up in the word election. Election just means choice. Election just means choice that he chose Jacob. He chose Jacob. <clears throat> and I, I, I asked myself this question. Why me, God? Why me here? Why were we all born in the United States of America? Why were you born at this time? Because God chose for you to be. Why wasn't I born over in the Middle East to a Muslim family? Because God chose for me to be here at this time. Why wasn't I born 80 years ago? Because he chose for me to be here at this time. It's not a salvation thing. It's not a salvation thing. He just chose Jacob over Esau. And that's got to be okay with us. It, that is his sovereign choice. We've got to understand that God has reasons that we may, may never fully understand. Isaiah 55, 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts higher than my ways and my thoughts. We've got to be so careful that we don't think that we can understand everything about God. Like, I'm a little cup and he's an ocean. You may give it, Okay. <laughs> Have you ever tried to logically reason with a four-year-old? Have you ever tried to explain life to a five-year-old? Have you ever tried to talk to a five-year-old about why it's time to go to bed? And there's, it's just not, it's not clicking, right? Okay, that is like us trying to reason with God. There's just going to be things that we don't know and we don't understand. And that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Now, Jacob and Esau is different than Ishmael and Isaac because that was promise over genetics, but these guys had the same mom and dad. But, so, but what God does is it's the reversal of expectations. You, the older will serve the younger. Younger. Because that's how he wanted to do it. But God, through this, is showing... He's showing the people of Israel that he can narrow the promise while still keeping the promise. Does that make sense? He's narrowing the promise while still keeping the promise. And so, well, I thought all Jews were going to be saved. And he's, he's saying, no, my children are going to be saved. And if you're a Jew that doesn't align yourself with Christ, then you won't be saved. I'm still keeping my promises, but my promises are contingent on that you have to choose Christ. See? Free will, I choose Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> oh, where are we at? <clears throat> With Jacob, the point is, is that it's not, it's not about works. It's not about our position. It's not about us earning it. Now, obviously, you know, if we know the story of Jacob, he was a trickster. He did manipulate. Him and his mom, they, they kind of played... His dad. They, they took what God said was going to happen into their own hands. And it didn't work well for him. Right? It didn't work out good for him. Now, did he still get that promise? Yes. But he was on the run from his brother for the next, some scholars believe, up to 50 years. 
that he was on the run away from Esau because he tried to, he tried to take it into his own hands. And we've got to be careful about trying to, you know, make good on God's promises on our own. <laughs> God would have made, we've got to understand that God would have made good on his promise to Jacob, no matter what Jacob and Rebecca did. God was going to make good on his promise with Abraham and Sarah, no matter what Abraham and Sarah did. Nothing can stop the promises of God. Even when we do things that seemingly can screw them up, we've got to know that his promises are still going to happen. We can try to compromise and get, get what is ours prematurely, and yes, there will be devastating promises, but guess what? You cannot derail the promises of God. They're always yes and amen. It's a good point, Josh. Thank you for that. Okay, last point here, and then I'll move on. Say, th- here's a real tough verse that a lot of people get caught up on. It's, this is one of the verses that us pastors avoid just because it's hard to explain. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Oh, tough crowd. Okay. <laughs> it's a hard one to swallow, okay? In the New Living right here, it says, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. But most translations say, I loved Jacob, but Esau, I hated. Yeesh. I didn't think God could hate people. We've got to understand again that this is not about eternal salvation. It wasn't that Jacob was saved and Esau was damned to hell. And we've got to understand that this love and hate language is not so cut and dry like love and hate that we use in English. Okay, so if you don't believe me, we're not going to do it for sake of time, but flip back over to Luke chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus looks at the people and he says, if you don't hate your wife and your children, and your mother, and your father, and your brother, and your sister, you have no part with me. Was Jesus talking about hating those people? No. He was using extreme language, but he's actually, if you do word study there, he's saying, if you don't hate those people by comparison in the way that you love me, What Jesus was saying is if you don't choose me over those people, that's all he's saying here is God chose Jacob over Esau. Why? Because he wanted to. I don't understand. I can ask myself all, all day long, why did God choose for me to be a pastor at this church? I don't know, because he wanted to. Why didn't, why did God choose you to do what you do? Why? I don't know, because he wanted to. And so we can debate all these things, but it's not that God hated Esau. It's that he simply chose Jacob over Esau. And actually, if you do a little bit more of a study here, you'll find that he's not really talking about Jacob and Esau. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. If you go to read Malachi 1 through 5, he goes and talks about how he has accepted the nation of Israel, but he's rejecting the nation of Edom. Why? Because, the na- because Esau turned out to be a not great guy and the nation of Edom was a not great people and they kept attacking Israel. And so he was saying, I am choosing you over your enemy. It's a good point. <laughs> this is not that God wanted to accurse Esau and cast him out. God didn't want to reject Esau. And here's the deal. Esau would have known the promise given to Jacob. And instead of towing the line and going along with it, he was still trying to obtain what was rightfully Jacob's. 
God doesn't harden a man's heart, but he will use a hard man's heart. Well, we're going to get into and see, well, well, I actually, I thought he did harden people's hearts. Here's the tension that we've got to come into agreement with is that, can we all agree that the cross of Christ was the plan of God? I hope so. Yes, it was, that was the plan of God. The, cr- the cross was God's plan, but the cross was also completely facilitated by the enemy. Yes, God used the devil like a pawn in his game. Why? We, Paul looked at it last, last week. He causes all things to work together for our good and his glory. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> we can say, and you've always, don't pick and choose like little scriptures. Like you've got to weigh all scripture against all scripture. Does God love everyone? Yes, he does. <laughs> For God so loved some people, religious people, some Jews, some Gentiles. No, God so loved the world. First John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. Romans 5, 8, we looked at it in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were faithfully following him? No, while we were sinners, <laughs> Christ died for us. In Matthew five forty four. but I say to you, love your best friends? Enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. Do you think that God requires us to love people that he doesn't love? Nope. He sure doesn't. God can have love for all people. That doesn't mean all people are going to be saved, but it does mean that he can love all people. (laughs) Now, Again, we got to go back to Isaiah 55. I'm running out of time. I'm not going to finish chapter nine tonight. Y'all held me up. Golly. (laughs) It's just, it's because it's so complicated. There's so much to unpack here. And I want to be sure that that I'm doing a good job of it. I don't want to leave anybody confused. But we've got to understand that that God's love is a lot more than we can comprehend. Here's a simple way to say, talk about God's love. It's a little bit complicated. It's a little bit more complex than the way that you and I love each other. It's a little bit more complicated than that. I know I say all the time that God's not angry with you. He's not frustrated with you. He's, he loves you. He wants you to be close to him. But, but in all reality, like God can be angry with you. It's just not an anger in which we really relate to. It's different. God's emotions are way more vast and complex than our emotions. Psalm 711, 711. Psalm 7-11, it says that God is angry with the wicked. Do you have children? Have you ever been angry with your children? Does that mean that you don't love them? That's it. That's it. Doesn't mean that I don't love them. When when I get angry with my children because they have done something that I don't like, it's not an anger in which I want to snatch them up and... It's an anger of like, you're better than that. There's There's so much more that you got in you. It's, it's complicated. It's complicated. Isaiah 53, it pleased the father to crush the son. It's complicated. 
It's just a little, we've got to understand that it's a little bit different than what we expect. Oh man, I'm just going to have to close. I only got halfway through. Y'all want to come back tomorrow in a couple hours? Man, I was so, I only got to verse 14, man. All right, y'all stand with me. Okay, y'all stand with me. I was really wanting to get through all of that, but this is a good intro. It'll set up. I promise I will finish verses 14 through 30 next week. 30 minutes is just too hard to get, especially Romans 9 in all of that. It's just, I was asking too much of myself. So, um, any, listen, come back next week because we're going to talk about, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Did Pharaoh harden his own heart? How does all that work? So it's going to be juicy. So come back. It's, it's going to be awesome. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much that you, that you love us. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us according to your purposes. We thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have given us freedom. Freedom to choose you. God, that you didn't make us mindless robots who are either destined for heaven or destined to be firewood in hell. But God, Romans 8, you said that you actually predestined us to be like Jesus. God, we're so grateful to you that you gave us the freedom. We're so grateful that you have been long-suffering and patient. God, I'm so grateful that you were patient with me when I ran away from you. And all the while, you were standing there with open arms waiting for me to come home. God, we love you tonight. We worship you. We thank, God, we're so thankful that you are a God of deep things. We're so thankful that we serve a God that we cannot comprehend fully. We're so thankful that you are a, a deep God, Lord, that even in scripture that it's not always laid out plainly, but Lord, at Proverbs, you says that it, that it is the glory of God to hide things from men, but it is the glory of kings to seek out those secrets. And Lord, as we continue to pack, ro- unpack Romans chapter nine, Lord, I just ask that it would cause us all to grow closer to you as we seek to uncover the deep truths of your scriptures, Lord, even the ones that aren't always easy to explain. We love you, God. I ask that you would just be with us this week. Continue to go before us and come beside us, Lord. We love you so much. We worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.